How fantastic is that? 27 people, although I, Ian tells me nine of them aren't here. So 18 people that we've just welcomed in. And I worked out that 27 is more than half of the pe- number of people we, we sewed out last week. <laughs> so all we have to do is do the same thing next week and we're back up. But how fantastic to welcome new people and such a large number of new people into our family and into our community together. And there are many churches who would be incredibly jealous for that. So let's never forget the privilege that we have that God is is actually doing things among us and is adding people to us. What I want to do today (coughs) is to talk about how we include people into our body and how we as a body, as a church, we, um, we, we develop so that everybody can play their part. You can, if you want a title for it, you can call it body ministry. So I've got a passage that I would like to read from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Seamless. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say that to every one of you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and all the members don't have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, we're members of one another, each having gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us. So let's use them. If it's prophecy in proportion to our faith, if it's, serving in our, if it's service in our serving, for the one who teaches in their teaching and the one who exhorts in their exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity and the one who leads with zeal the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And every one of those people who God has just brought in into our family, we we, we recognize, actually they've been part of us for some time, many of them, that they, each of them, have a vital part to play, as does everybody else who is part of this church, or the church. So let's just unpack what this passage says. And I want to just sort of go through this and explain in very practical terms how that affects our daily life as a church. Paul starts off with, with three questions, or, with, um, or three instructions, sorry, which essentially all say the same thing, but they say them in, in different ways. So it's a way that we can get, get a, a glimpse of what he's meaning. And they start out quite abstract, 
and they finish up very practical. So the three, the three statements are, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, that sounds great, but how do we do that? So he then unpacks it and says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That explains to us how we can present ourselves as a living sacrifice. But it doesn't tell us what we need to do in order to do so. So he then says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, when I was quite a bit younger, and perhaps not even only a little bit younger, my self-esteem was not one of my strong points. And whenever I read this, I thought, there's absolutely no danger of me ever thinking of myself more highly than I ought. Actually, I need to think of myself a little bit more highly. But actually, Paul's not talking about self-esteem. He's talking about how we, there's a tendency in all of us to actually just think about ourselves and think about ourselves over other people. So if you have any doubt about that, just spend some time around a baby or a very young child. We all come into the world with the sense that the world resolves, uh, revolves around us and around our needs. Right on cue. <laughs> and there can be the temptation to just live in that. Obviously, when we come to physical maturity, we start to get a different perspective. But it's very tempting for us to all always have that idea that it's all about, all about us. There's that song we sometimes sing, it's all about you. It can be tempting to actually say, it's all about me, as if you should, I should do things your way. And Paul also talks about the way the world can influence us and the way the culture around us is completely driven by this idea that we are the centre and it's all about us. I've picked out two different aspects. There are multiple aspects. I've just picked out two of them. One of them is that it's advertising and materialism. Advertising tells us we need this particular thing. Our lives would be worthless if we don't have this latest gizmo or this product or this activity. We become consumers desperately trying to, to gather more and more stuff because, we, because our advertising tells us stuff will make us significant. Another way that, that the world is all revolves around ourselves, it's all about ambition, what I can achieve for fame, for money, for promotion, for possessions and for position. Why do people go on to these reality shows? It's because they want to get fame. And then we hear tragic stories of how it's actually destroyed their lives. There's a message out there that if only we earned a little bit more. Um, it, yes, it was, was Rockefeller, wasn't it, that said, said, how much is enough? And he always says, always another million. That wasn't in my notes, so I hadn't got quite not prepared for that. And it's very easy for all of those aspects to come into our church life, for us to, 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 to silently absorb 
the, me- the, the, the measure, the, the message that, um, that it's all, all revolving around us. Or somehow there's a pecking order that we need to, 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 to climb the church ladder. But Paul's giving us a very different message. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. In the, the church background that I, I grew up in, there was the notion of the, of the person who stood at the front. There were words that were used like priest or ordained. And there was a, a clear separation of this person who stood up at the front was clearly more worthy, more holy than I was. Actually, as a church, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. We are all equal before God. We are all acceptable before God. And, and this, this sort of secular versus spiritual um, or, or ordained versus lay, that has no place in the kingdom of God. We are all brought in. It's very much an Old Testament idea rather than a New Testament idea. Sometimes it can be helpful to have Bible passages in, in different words. And so this is a little extract from what the passage I just read that comes from Eugene Peterson's message version. And it, I think it, it really captures something of what I'm trying to say. It says, Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Let's not let the world around us and the culture around us drag, it, drag us down to its level. But let's focus on God because he has so much more for every one of us. So Paul then gets very practical in the outworking of all of those statements, those, those three points about um, presenting our bodies as the living sacrifice, not being conformed to the world, but be trans- being transformed by the ruining of our minds and not thinking about ourselves more highly than we ought. He shows us how we can do it in practical life. It's not just something airy-fairy out there, but it's very practical. He uses the metaphor of the body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he amplifies this a bit more, um, but he uses this image of the body, that in our bodies, not every bit of us does the same job. Incident, it, it, I always get slightly amused by the, the song that we sang at the beginning of Open the Eyes of My Heart. It always seems to be very anatomically strange. And we, we know what the song means, and that's fine. But there can be a temptation that we kind of get ourselves spiritually, anatomically confused, that we think everybody has to be everything. Uh, rather than actually celebrating what God has made us. Sorry, that was a little aside that only came into my head as, I, as, I, as we were singing that. But yeah, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about 
uh, how when one part of the body rejoices, everyone rejoices. When one part of the body suffers, everybody suffers. And it doesn't matter how important that part of the body is. A little bit over a year ago, a part of my body, which apparently is completely useless, became infected. And I had pain like I have never, ever experienced pain. I had appendicitis. And apparently my appendix is completely useless, but yet the pain was so excruciating. And it's like that with the church. You may think of yourself as insignificant or useless, but when you suffer, we all suffer together. So we often think of ourselves like that. We think of ourselves like the appendix, something that doesn't particularly have a use or a significance. And it can be very easy to compare ourselves with other people and to think of them as much more significant than, than in, in the wrong way than ourselves. I think I've, I've talked about this um, at some point in the past in, in sermons, but uh, something that Chris and I discovered probably around about a year into our marriage was because of our different giftings and abilities that God has given us, we were each of us thinking the other one was more spiritual than, than, than ourselves. And this is a, tra- a trap that we can get into. So I just love doing things like prayer meetings and um, supernatural gifts and things. And Chris said, oh, that means he must be more spiritual than I am. Well, she is so much better at people uh, and reaching out to people than I am. And so I thought, oh, she must be more spiritual than me. No, we are each of us different, but we're equally spiritual in the eyes of God. And that counts for every person here. But the problem is, we end up looking at other people and we say, if only I was like that. And we try to focus on our areas of weakness in order to, to try to, to make ourselves as good as, as, as whatever that might be. But the problem is, if we're all focusing on our areas of weakness, we're not actually doing the things that God's gifted us, which is our areas of strength. Now, of course, there are times when everybody has to do a bit of everything. But if we focus on the strengths that God has given us, and develop those, and work in partnership with others who have strengths that complement ours, then together we can do far more. But sadly, often we get intimidated by the strengths that we see in other people. I've been on, on uh, uh, kind of courses and things where people who love theology. They come with this big book the size of a brick and they slap it down. They say, you've got to read that. It's wonderful. And I just look at it and I just think, that's so dull. And I can feel 
like I'm a second class Christian. Or there are, I, I find it very difficult speaking to people who don't know Jesus. It's very difficult to kind of know how to come about, how, how to pitch what I'm saying that will reach them. Whereas there are other people who love doing that. And I can feel intimidated by them. I, as I said, I just love prayer meetings and kind of supernatural ministry stuff. Other people can find that intimidating. But actually, if I, when I have a question about theology, go to the people who love to study theology... And when I have a friend who, don't, who doesn't know Jesus, who I want a bit of help, I go to somebody who's gifted in evangelism. And when you feel like you need a little bit of help from God, come and ask me to pray for you. And suddenly, so much more happens. It's so much better. If we serve from our place of strength rather than our place of weakness, then the whole church benefits. So what are those different areas of strength? Well, every one of us is different. The song that we sing, every creature unique in the song that it sings. Every person, every Christian unique in the mix of gifting and character um, and ability that they have. Paul goes on to give us seven different categories of people and he's saying these are all necessary and these are all vital, just like the different parts of our body are all necessary and vital, even the appendix for, for, good, for good, uh, good life. So I want to just go through those quickly. The first one is prophecy. It says if, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now, we know that that's not the only supernatural gift, but because uh, we, we see another list of nine of them in, in 1 Corinthians. So I think Paul's just talking about categories. So I'm going to expand what he's saying to include wider things in each of these categories that he's giving. But he's saying, if it's supernatural stuff, then do it with faith, trusting in God. And actually... Every time somebody comes forward, when Sarah came forward this morning, it takes faith to believe that actually it's not just a good idea, it's not just because you had some cheese last night, actually it's because you feel God's saying something. It takes faith every time. And that's important that we do that, um, we respond with faith. Serving. Serving talks about the practical needs that we all of us have and that the church have. Some people were out in the car park helping you park your car to make sure we can get enough, enough cars into, into the place and welcoming you. People have been making coffee. People helped to set the chairs out in the room. There are some people who are serving with the children. There are people who are serving in many, many, many ways. If those people stopped, our life as a church would fall apart. They are vital 
and no less, because actually what they're doing is often unseen and in the background. In fact, Jesus said that if we want to be great in the kingdom of God, we should be a servant to others. So service, just, um, there's a whole list of things. And I'm sure that in the first century, they didn't have people on car park duty and making the coffee and, and setting out the chairs because they had a different culture. But serving is something that transcends culture and the particular needs that we have. And, and we, we absolutely need it. So if, you, if your gift is serving, and I know that there are wonderful people here for whom that's true, I value that and I appreciate it. Please keep doing it. The one who teaches in their teaching. Somehow we might think of this as a slightly more obvious thing in the list, but it's just alongside all of the others. We all need to understand and to develop um, well, what did I, I, sorry, our minds, our intellect, and our understanding about what God's purposes are. This can be unpacking the Bible and teaching from the Bible. It could also be teaching about practical things. So I'm thinking about there are people who, uh, who work for Alpha or for Freedom in Christ who have a message and a teaching that has actually had impact on thousands and thousands of people. There are plenty more examples. So as we, as we teach, we need to, to, to know with our minds and understand what it is that God has for us. But again, it's not all about an intellectual um, activity. It's just one part of, what, of how we go. The next one, it says, the one who exhorts in their exhortation. Now, if you're reading the NIV, it will say encouragement, and that is perhaps a slightly better word. It may be nearly infallible, but, but uh, I like the, the extra spiritual version. Um, so I looked up what about exhortation, and it's translated in different places. The ESV and the AV, the King James, they say exhort. The NIV says encourage. But I quite liked J.B. Phillips, who says stimulating of faith. And I also looked it up in Vine, who says it's talking about something that's future-oriented. It's about encouraging people for the future, as distinct to comfort, which is, which is encouraging people because of something in the past. It's a future orient, orientation. So there are people here who are fantastic at exhortation, of, of encouraging us to move forward into all the purposes of God. If we didn't have you, we would be so much poorer. The one who contributes in generosity, this is Alan's favourite, but I'm not just talking about money because we all contribute in different ways. There are times in in everybody's life, sometimes when you have uh, more time than money and other times when you have more money than time. Sometimes you have more strength, sometimes you have less. Whatever it is that we bring that we can contribute Let's do it with generosity. Let's go over and above 
uh, what, what, what's needed so that, so that everybody can benefit. Again, this is an area. If we were all just withholding and keeping what we had to ourselves, the church would be so much poorer, literally, financially, but also uh, as a community together. The one who leads with zeal. I mean, this talks about this talks about our direction and setting boundaries, and, and, and again, it's a part of the moving forward. But it's no, it's not higher or lower than anything else in this list. It's just a necessary function that we have, that, and that we have leadership in this church to set vision. We're no better, and we're no worse than anybody else. We're not, we don't have that old model of the, of the priest and the people, the ordained and the lay. We are just, this is a function and a gifting that God's given us. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now we often talk about mercy ministries as being for reaching out into the practical needs of the community around us. And that's true. But it's also about doing that within the body as well. But, but this is a vital function. And I must say, it's not something I'm desperately good at. I find judgment much easier than mercy, but never mind. <laughs> and so I really appreciate all of those who are involved in, in, in with, at some point, you know, Chris was saying that I was very impatient, and she's absolutely right. And you need patience to, to, to serve uh, in that way. But to do it with cheerfulness. Not, oh, here you are then. These are all vital parts of our body. Just like in our physical bodies, we would have the nervous system and the digestive system uh, and, and the blood system and the bones and, and the skin, all these parts. And, and I know there are medical people who are going to tell me I've got this all completely wrong. But, but, but so, so these, this list is talking about the spiritual aspect. It's talking about the intellectual aspect. It's talking about the emotional aspect. It's talking about the practical aspect. It's talking about the vision aspect. There's all things that we need. And if we all take the thing that we're good at and, and, and embrace that, and don't beat ourselves up because we're not good at everything, then actually we'll discover that together we can do far more than we could do alone. So the message is, we need you. We need you to be involved. One of the dangers that we have as we grow larger as a church is for new people to come in and to have this impression, this false impression, that everything is a well-functioning, ticking-along machine and that there is no place for them. That's wrong. Everybody comes with a unique blend of gifts and talents and skills and abilities, natural and spiritual. And we want to embrace all of those things. A number of years ago, in fact, more years than I care to think, Chris and I were in a church that was much, much bigger than this one. In fact, it had around about 
three and a half thousand adults and a thousand children. So it's roughly 20 times bigger than this church. And one of the ways to make sure that the church functioned well was that everybody was expected to be part of a small group. Everybody was expected to be part of a serving team of some sort. And again, it would be dependent on that. And as we grow bigger, it's vital that everybody is involved in the fabric of the church. Sometimes I hear of people who, who've come among us at the beginning and, and they've, they've had a fantastic welcome. And then maybe about a couple of months in, the, 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 the focus of our welcome people has moved on to the next new people. And they say, what, where do I fit? I say, get involved. Join an Emmanuel community. Join a serving team. Join in, because then you'll be part of the body. Okay, so let's welcome all those 27 people who've who've just joined into our family, into our community, into our church. Let's all of us, whether we're, we're new or old, let's present ourselves to Jesus as a living sacrifice. Let's allow him to renew our minds so that we're not operating in the way that the culture around us works. And let's find out how we're gifted and, and use that and get involved and, so that we can all serve from our place of strength. Could the band come back, please? Because I've asked them to sing, I am who you say I am. We sang it earlier. And, and this is all about our identity in God and having our identity rooted in who God says we are and not our identity based on how good we are at any of the things that we do or don't do. Another line in that song says, In my Father's house, there's a place for me. And in this church, there is a place for you. Whoever you are, whatever you do, there is a place for you. As you embrace who God says you are and, and, and come from that place of your identity in him there's a place for you so come in be part of it so let's sing this song and embrace who God says each of us is